Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Cows, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. We're reading from uh, Acts chapter 10. I'm reading from the NIV, if you want to read along with me. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God, who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house, so that... He could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Thanks, Dex. I'm going to take you back to the late 90s. Beck and I were dating. We dated for a few t- too many years. <laughs> My fault. Um, and <laughs> we were going up to Bonnie Hills. It was the first time I was going on a family holiday with the Pierces, and it's up at Bonnie Hills, which is, um, I don't know if you can say this in church, God's country. 
Um, we love it. It's our favourite place. It's just south of Port Macquarie. Um, and Beck's grandfather, um, who was alive at the time, had a house there that overlooks the beach. And so we drove up, I think it was Friday afternoon, got there just before dinner time, and walked into the kitchen and there's a hive of people. Um, everyone's sitting around the table, um, you know, busily doing things. And I, I look over and it was all quite foreign to me. And they're shucking oysters. And I'm not from an oyster family. I didn't grow up eating oysters. Um, but eating oysters is a big thing in Beck's family. And it was kind of competitive. And I'm the new guy um, dating their daughter. Um, and so you've got to get gloves on or you know, use a towel. And there's this little, I don't know if you've shucked oysters before, there's this little, I don't know what it's called, shucker, little knifey thing. You stick it in and you give it a bit of a twist. And so Beck's grandfather has been doing it for years and he's just one smooth move and, and then you stick it in there and flip the oyster over and it's done. And I'm just making an absolute meal of it, trying to impress everyone like I do, but having absolutely no idea. And, um, and I'm thinking, man, this is not a good start. Um, these people really do like their oysters and I'm not into them at all. But I think it actually worked to my advantage because um, they figured Beck was going to get a partner at some point and better for it to be someone that doesn't like oysters so they don't have to share as much. Um, so it, it's, it's good that, um, you know, differences in eating habits didn't really stop me from joining the Pierce family. Um, because for the Pierce family, um, you know, food is important, but they're not going to get hung up about um, food rules. It's not going to stop them from um, letting people join their family. But in first century Judea, where we're going to find ourselves today in the story, it was a big deal. The food laws of the day were a big deal. It was such a big deal that it kind of defined what group you were in. Um, and, you know, it's great that we don't live in times like that anymore, although maybe you do. Maybe at your house you're a smooth peanut butter family and never shall crunchy peanut butter pass the threshold. I don't know. Or is it M&M's versus Smarties? I'm not sure. But today we're going to look at two questions. Who's in the family of God or who should be in the family of God and how do we get into this family of God? What's the criteria for it? So as um, Paul mentioned, we're working our way through the book of Acts. Um, I was supposed to have a slide up, but I didn't get around to it. Acts 1.8. Jesus says to the disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's this three-tiered geography of Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then to the ends of the earth, and that kind of maps out the book of Acts. And so the story starts with the church being birthed at Pentecost. Jesus has died and resurrected. The Holy Spirit has come down upon them. And the new covenant's here. Um, thousands of people are being saved. God is with them personally, indwelling within them. And so the gospel starts to go out. First in Jerusalem, and there's thousands there, and they form a new church, and there's this amazing um, picture of a, just a vibrant church of everyone sharing, 
everyone coming together, breaking bread, praying together, sharing everything. But the movement isn't very popular because the people in power don't really like what's going on. And um, so they scatter the people and there's a persecution. And, and so we see people going out to Samaria, which is the northern parts of Israel. Philip went there preaching Jesus and we see people being saved there as well. And we start to see these kind of unexpected people being saved. There's a sorcerer in Samaria and he's got to learn the way that following Jesus isn't about gaining power, but it's actually about giving it up. And then there's that Ethiopian that gets saved. And so we, we see Jesus expanding his movement. And then we're introduced to Paul, the Pharisee. We all know Paul. He's busy persecuting the church. He's ravaging the church, is, is what it says, dragging men and women off to prison. And then, as Dave took us through a couple of weeks ago, the story takes a really strong new turn. And Paul is converted. And he starts proclaiming Jesus as king. So we see this shift from Jerusalem to Samaria. And now we're going into Judea and to the end of the earth. And so we come into this section of Acts, kind of Acts 10 and Acts 11, and it's a really important hinge point in the book of Acts and pretty much the, the whole story of God's redemption, really. It's, it's where Peter, this, you know, he's leading this, this fledgling movement of, of Jesus' people. He's kind of grappling with who really is supposed to be in God's family and how do you get in it? So that's our two questions for today. Who's in God's family and how do we join it? So last week, if you weren't here, I'll give you a five-second overview. Mick took us through the second half of Acts 9. He talked about how God loves to do the impossible. And he asked us a couple of questions. I don't know if you remember. Where do you need God to show up? And what areas of your life need a breakthrough? And what, er what maybe, maybe God's just waiting for you to ask? Or maybe he's waiting for us to put ourselves into a position where we need God to pull through. And that, that really hit me. Um, I've been thinking about that, especially coming back from holidays. And I've kind of been feeling um, a little bit unsettled about things. I don't really know what it is, but it's got me wondering what God's got for me. So I'm really keen to kind of dig into that mix. So thanks for that encouragement. Um, so the story ends with Peter um, going down to, to Joppa and staying with this guy called Simon. He's a tanner, and that's where we're going to pick things up today. And I think, so Mick spoke about impossible things last week, and I think we're going to see some impossible things today. Generally, we think that impossible things only happen to people that really need it like it's really clear that they need a miracle it's like that story in john where there's the invalid at the the um the well of bethesda and he'd been there for 38 years um he was a cripple and he just couldn't get to the pool whenever he tried to move someone got in there first and and jesus comes and it's just an impossible situation um so clearly you know those people like that need miracles, don't they? And in today's terms, um, 
we probably think more about you know hardcore addictions or intergenerational trauma those things need a miracle they just seem impossible but sometimes the impossible needs to happen to church folk too and i think we're going to see that with peter today and and what i want to think about is maybe it's us as well so let's pray and jump into acts 10. heavenly father we thank you for your word may your holy spirit give us ears to hear what you want to hear us um, want us to hear today in jesus name amen so we're in caesarea at caesarea there's a man named cornelius a centurion of what was known the italian cohort a devout man devout man actually um, who feared god with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually so Caesar is actually the Roman capital. So Judea at the time was an occupied country. The Romans were occupying it and their base, their capital was Caesarea. Um, and so we meet this guy, Cornelius. He's a centurion and a centurion means a century, a hundred. He, um, he leads a hundred people. So he's got a, you know, a reasonable position in this army. So I reckon for a man in his position, it would probably be pretty good politically for him to be worshipping you know, the gods of his people, the Roman gods. They didn't have one, they had several. Um, but as a centurion in an occupied land, he probably also needed to know what was going on in the land itself and what the people, what were the, the ideas and the cultures. Um, and today we, we think a lot about colonialism. It's, um, it's quite a hot topic. And, um, and we see that Cornelius feared God. And he feared God in, in the best way that he knew God. And he prayed and he gave alms and he walked in an upright way. And it's, it's kind of like um, when the British arrived in Sydney, it's kind of like Arthur Philip, the first governor, taking up the beliefs of the, the First Nations people. It's kind of kind of quite astonishing that an occupier would come in and take up the beliefs of, of the indigenous people, but that's, that's what's happening here. And so we read that Cornelius was devout, and, and Luke, I think, provides a nice definition of what is a devout man, what does it look like, a devout person. They fear God, they give alms to the poor, and they pray continually. Like, that's, that's who we are to be, isn't it? That sounds like a Christian um, I like this definition. It's an attitude of reverence that's exhibited in your actions. So it's two parts. It's the knowledge and then what you do with it. I like that. I want to be like that. And we're all called to pray continuously. Paul tells us in Philipp, um, Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. And I'm not always great at that. But I do remember there was a time um, I was at university and I was, um, it was a, holiday job and was working in an environmental consulting firm and really struggling with one of the colleagues there. They were, you know, I was obviously quite fresh and they were quite experienced and I can't actually remember what the, the issue was, but I just felt really horrible coming into work each day, working with this guy. And for some reason, God put it on my heart to pray for him. Doesn't sound revolutionary, but you know, it was a good thing. And, and not only pray for him, but pray for his blessing. And it was amazing how praying 
um, for the blessing of your enemy totally changed me. And it, it changed my relationship with this guy. It didn't, I don't know if it changed him, but it changed the dynamic for me and it changed my, my heart and my mind. Um, and I think when we're, when we're at our best as believers, generally that aligns with when we have a lifestyle of prayer, when we're praying continuously. And it probably doesn't always start with us sitting down beside the bed saying, Heavenly Father, it's, it's more likely that throughout the day, we're just thinking about God, we're thinking about the kingdom of heaven and we're just touching base with him, whether it's to say thank you or whether it's to say, God, I just want to lift up this person to you or whether it's, you know, giving this day to you. And apparently that was Cornelius. He prayed continuously. And an angel appears to him and he tells him quite simply, to find this guy called Peter. Um, later on in the story, um, you'll hear in a couple of weeks, he also, um, we find out that we all, he, um, the angel also told him that this Peter will declare a message to you by which you'll be saved. And we know that he wanted to hear this message because um, a little bit further on, um, sorry, John, for spoiling your bit, when Peter turns up at the house, he finds Cornelius, but all of Cornelius's family and all of Cornelius's close friends. Like, this is a guy that really wanted to know the truth. He really wanted to know, how do I get saved? Um, he thought it was that important that everyone that was important to him needed to be there at that moment to hear it. It's a really cool image. And the angel says, Cornelius. Kind of skip over it, but it's cool that the angel knew Cornelius' name. And even God knows our name. So our Lord Mayor is Nuatali Nelms. Well, not you, Mick, but um, actually it's not. I'm in Lake Macquarie. Um, who is my mayor? Anyway, the point of the story is not that I know the mayor's name. It's the mayor doesn't know my name. The mayor of my town doesn't know my name. Albo doesn't know my name. But God, the God of the universe, knows my name, hey? That is, that is pretty cool. So the angel says, Cornelius. And what's Cornelius' response? He stared in terror. So this is a guy. His job is to, um, to lead 100 people in the biggest army of the day. So this army just kind of moved across the earth. Sways of people taking over territories. Like he kind of had a good idea of power. And yet when he came face to face with one of God's angels, he stared in terror. When he finally builds up the courage, he says, what is the Lord? And the angel says, your prayers and arms have ascended as a memorial before God, which would have been an incredible thing for a Jew to hear. And... King David said something like that back in the Psalms. He said, may my prayer be counted as incense before you. So what we see here is that Cornelius' prayers were incense before God. I, th I think we generally forget the prayers we pray, but God doesn't. Our prayers go up to heaven as a memorial before God and are incense in heaven. 
This is from Revelation 5. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's just amazing that God remembers our prayers, and gosh, that motivates me, and I hope it motivates you to have that attitude of prayer. And so the angel says, send for Peter, who's staying with Simon the Tanner. So this angel gives Cornelius exact details of where to find Peter. He says he's by the sea. God never forgets a name, never loses an address, never makes a mistake. He knows exactly where I am or where you'll find me. He knows how to send people across my path when I need them. And he does all that to fulfil his own purposes. So God didn't use an angel to tell Cornelius about Christ. He could have. He'd done that in the past. He used a man, Peter, and it's, it's how God works, isn't it? Like he, he occasionally uses angels and he occasionally uses visions, but who does he generally use? You and me. He did it through the Jews. He used Peter. He used Philip. He used Stephen. He used Paul. He didn't have to, but that's how he works. He uses us as his messengers, as his partners. And so then we read, and then the angel who spoke to him departed, and he called his two servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them on to Joppa. So what does Cornelius do with this information? He goes into action mode. And it's very similar to that story we hear of Jesus and the centurion in Luke 7. Um, The centurion comes to Jesus and says, effectively, heal my child. And... um, and they're having a discussion. The centurion says, But say the word, Jesus, and let my servants be healed, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. So I, I, um, I love this picture of Cornelius as this really faithful. <laughs> Devout Christian, I want to be praying all the time as a way of life, as a lifestyle. I want to be living in a reverent fear of God, the fear that knows him as king of the universe. I want to be thinking about others, giving alms for the poor, not hoarding things for myself, but not being generous because I know that I have a father in heaven who has everything for me. I want to be someone who hears the voice of God and does it straight away. And I want to be intentional and urgent about the need for salvation, taking every opportunity to bring my family and my friends to hear the truth, and I find that quite convicting. But you know what? I think there's something else to learn about Cornelius. And this is our first question. How do we join God's family? What's the criteria? Is it being devout? Because I reckon Cornelius ticks all that boxes, all of those boxes. Is it giving arms to the poor? You, you probably know where I'm going with this. So Cornelius was a man who'd responded to the light that God had given him. And the Bible says that every one of us has some level of knowledge of the light of God. He'd come to know and he'd come to fear this God of the Jews and he was showing the outworkings of that 
um, through prayer and through acts of service. But even though he was devout, he needed something else. So you look at what the angel said to him. Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And what does he go on to say next? Good job, son. Keep going. Or there's just this one more thing you need to do and you'll be sweet. Just this one area of your life. Just tweak that bit and you're good. No, it wasn't that. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, unless you're converted, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what's this concept of conversion? It's about turning around. It's about this inner transformation. It's, it's not replacing who we are. We still have our personalities. But it's, it's kind of refacing. And it's an entire change of life. And so the angel doesn't say, well done. He says, you need something to be saved. You need to know how to get true life. Go and get Peter. He'll tell you about it. He still needed conversion. And this, this guy, Cornelius, is a lot like Nicodemus. Um, he's um, you know, high up in, the, in um, the Jewish church. He knew a lot of stuff. He was a good guy. He wasn't one of those hypocrites. He was, he was a devout guy. Um, and Jesus said to him, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. It, it's interesting to think how religious a person can be without being in God's family, without knowing Jesus as, a, as their Lord and Saviour, without having that rebirth that Jesus talks about. And maybe there are some here today that are just like Cornelius, that are devout, that know about God and that are doing good works out of that knowledge but still need that conversion, that rebirth of the Holy Spirit. So if it's you and you want to know more, we'd love to talk to you about it. Um, so come up um, and see us at the end of the service. We'd love to talk and pray with you. So then we move to the second part, and this is about Peter. And, um, and I reckon this is the conversion story as well. It's funny, hey, Peter, the great apostle, needs, still needs to be converted so this is a second question. Who is in God's family? And we read the story that Peter is um, he's in Joppa. He's gone up onto the rooftop to pray, becomes hungry, and he falls into this trance. And, and he, he sees this vision of the heavens open and something like a sheet descending. And the sheet was full of all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds. And there was a voice and said, Peter, eat. So it's, it's really cool that God's been working in Cornelius' heart and he set this kind of plan in place. And Cornelius and men are on their way, on their way to this place that God still hasn't sorted out. He's still working on, he's still working on Peter. But God knows the, the, the end from the beginning, Right? And that's, that's really cool. And it, this is a great example of how the providence of God um, is at work, how he stitches people's stories together. Um, we saw it last week or the week before with um, Paul and Ananias, how they were both given visions. 
and they kind of didn't have the full story. Paul was told to go to this place, Ananias was told to go to that place. And similarly here, Paul, um, God is, is working separately in Cornelius's and Peter's life. They don't get the full story. But if they act, it comes together. And, and sometimes we kind of want everything we resolve. We want the full picture. I want everything down pat. And I really struggle with this. I want to know all the detail. But, you know, here we, we have this story where Cornelius has this simple faith. He's told to get Peter and he gets Peter. You know, sometimes we don't get the full picture. Um, sometimes it's best not to wait for it. So, so Peter sees this vision coming down from heaven, filled with all kinds of animals, and he's told to eat. It's you know, obviously a strange vision for us, but for, um, for a good Jewish boy like Peter, it would have been really disturbing. It would have been horrifying to be told to eat all of these animals because the Jews had very particular dietary laws. They had chapters of them. Kosher and non-kosher, I'm sure you've heard of that. Beef, beef was fine. Pigs, no good. No bacon. Sorry, Beck. Fish, good. Prawns, no. Oysters, no way. Some of the, some of the animals, animals I think would agree with, like bats. The Jews weren't allowed to eat bats. And I, 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 can, I can live with that. But it wasn't just what food you could eat, it's how you cooked them, how you prepared them. So there's, there's a verse, you cannot boil a calf in its mother's milk. And do you know where that's ended up? You can't eat cheeseburgers. So lots of rules about food. And there was this concept of clean and unclean or holy and common. And even if you had a holy thing, it could become common just by coming into contact with a common thing. And vice versa. If you had a common thing, it could become holy by going through a purification process. So there were lots of rules. And over time, those rules got added onto with more and more traditions from the rabbis. But we know from the beginning, we go back to the very beginning, Genesis, when God was talking to Abram, he wanted this people. Um, you know, humanity was failing. That, that plan of Adam and Eve didn't go so well. And then he flooded the world. And Noah's family, well, that plan didn't go too well either. So he chose a family, a single family, to be marked out as different, different from everyone else, a family set apart. He, but not just set apart, he wanted that family to bless the whole world, to bless all the nations. But these, these food laws um, just became about a distinction. And so Peter really struggled with this because this was like fundamental to his identity. So he's looking at this vision and he just, like, all he can see is the food. And when he's told to eat, it looks bad because you're either eating clean food that's been made unclean because it's come into contact with unclean animals or you're eating an unclean animal. So there's, you know, there's no good outcomes here. So Peter answers as any good Jewish boy should answer, no, Lord. Maybe he thinks it's a test. I've never eaten unclean food. <laughs> as an aside, 
this is not the first time that Peter's obviously said no to God, is it? He's got a good track record of this. And I think it's one of the things that people like about Peter. He kind of wears his heart on his sleeve, warts and all. Like when, when Jesus um, said he needed to die, what did Peter say? God forbid it, it shall never happen. And then when Jesus said um, that he's going to wash Peter's feet, what did he say? Never shall you wash my feet. It's really interesting to compare Peter's response, the, you know, the clean Jew, with Cornelius' response, the, the, you know, the dirty Gentile. Peter's response was, by no means, Lord. But Cornelius was, what is it, Lord? What do you have for me? And thankfully for Peter and us, God doesn't give up on him when he says no. But God obviously wasn't just talking about food. He was talking about his family, God's family, and who could join it. So the Jews had rules for food, but they also had rules for how they deal with other nations, or who they called the Gentiles. And over time it got to the point where the Jews really disliked the people around them, disliked the Gentiles. They were common, they were unclean. They even referred to them as dogs. If a Jew touched a Gentile in the street, he'd have to go home and wash. A Gentile was not really to be spoken of or associated with. So how could this family of Abraham, God's family, be a blessing to all the nations when they couldn't even associate them? It just it didn't work, did it? It turns out that Peter needed a conversion and, you know, Obviously, all the Jews needed a conversion. They were stuck in this worldview of Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean. And I read this amazing comment by a guy called Jonathan Sachs. He was the UK's chief Jewish rabbi from 91 to 2012. So that's obviously going back a bit. But he was speaking at this Christian conference, and at the end of his talk, he was asked, how do you see us Christians and what we have done? And he said, you have done what you were told to do. Sorry, study it. You have done what we were told to do and didn't do. We were given this great message that was for all people. We sat on it and you have taken it to the world. Isn't that awesome? Like God had given the Jews this amazing message to be a blessing to the whole world, but they missed the Messiah and they were just stuck in their rules. So Peter's had this vision. What's his response? He's really struggling with this. He's perplexed. He's pondering. And so God sends it to him three times, and that means it's really important. And I wonder what Peter, what's going through Peter's head. You know, did he go back to when Jesus was arguing with the um, Pharisees about what actually defiles a person? He said, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And then Mark makes the point really clear by adding a little note. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Or that story with Jesus and the centurion where Jesus said, do you want me to come back to your house and heal your child? Jesus was offering to go into a, a dirty Gentile's house. Or was his mind full of the, the, the common worldview of the, the Jews around him? So God gives him the vision three times and then the Spirit tells him, three men are here, go with them without hesitation. 
So Peter follows that instruction. He goes down to the door and who does he find? Three dirty Gentiles. So things start clicking um, for Peter. There's the vision of the animals. Now the Gentiles are here asking him to go to a Gentile's house and to top it off, the Holy Spirit is telling him to go. And it's cool that, you know, God pulls out all the stops for Peter, doesn't he? Like Peter's really struggling with this. Um, but God really wants him to get the point. And, and that's really comforting for us because God doesn't just say something once and if we miss it, that's it. Like he works with us. He says it again and again and then he sends people to help Peter and then, he, then his Holy Spirit speaks. God keeps at us and it's, it's really hard when we have to change our worldviews. Like we can be saved, we can be born again and we see here Peter is a born again Christian. But that doesn't mean he instantly removes all of his worldviews, all of his blind spots, all of his issues. We've got to work through that stuff. That's a, that's a long act of sanctification. Um, and thankfully, God works with us. Hey? And I just I love reading these stories um, of God working with his people. Um, I was telling someone I went for a run today, and um, I run down through Blackbutt, and it's got a few ups and downs. So you start in this really long down section. It's really nice. And then you go flat section. Then you go down a couple of small down sections and then flat section. Then you've got to turn around and do the opposite. And so downhill, this is a bit like our, and I was just thinking, this is a bit like our Christian walk, isn't it? Like downhill, sometimes it, things are just going sweet and we get some real breakthroughs, especially at the start of our Christian walk. And we hit these milestones and things are going good. And then sometimes things flatten out and it's just, you know, we're making progress. It's a nice, easy path. We're coming alongside other Christians and, and life is good. We're enjoying the blessings of the Lord. And then sometimes you get some little inclines and, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit challenging. And then I got to the, the hill at the end where it's just hundreds of metres of straight up. And I think that's where Peter was today. Like this was a real tough spot for him. And we're going to have these real tough spots in our lives. I don't know if it's sin, if it's a worldview, I don't know what it is. But what I think we can take from this story is that God sticks with us. There's going to be good times, there's going to be bad times. It's like a run through Blackbutt. But God is going to be there. And... There's this quote from the old preacher Spurgeon. Um, and I think it would have been great for Peter to hear this at this point. He says, Shake yourself up a little, my brother. If you are too precise, may the Lord set you on fire and consume your bonds of red tape. If you have become so improperly proper that you cannot commit a proper impropriety, then pray God to help you be less proper for there are many who will never be saved by your instrumentality while you study propriety. Like that's obviously, you know, old school. But I, I love it, you know. We should be saying this to ourselves, shouldn't we? When we get consumed with religious red tape. And it just made me think, what, what do we need to be shaken up about as a church? Or, or, or us? You know, is it... Is it I don't know, is, is it what churches are we happy to work with? Or how, how do we want to do church? Or 
what people are we going to minister to? Because I know that those middle-class professionals, they're pretty easy. Like, they're, you know, not a lot of damaged goods there. Um, you know, what, what's God calling us to? Let's not be focused on the propriety, the rules and the process and the normal way of doing things, and let's make sure that we're open to what God's saying to us. So what does Peter do with all this? Well, I'll leave most of that to John next week. But we know in verse 23 he says he invited them in to be his guests. Three Gentiles in his own home. So this little sentence is just so monumental in the life of the church. Here's Peter, the leader of the church, inviting the Gentiles in. He got it. He'd come to realise that those words from God, what God has cleansed, you must not call common, it applied to people. It applied to God's family, not just foods. So he welcomed them in. Peter puts it like this um, in his letter to the Ephesians, and it's a bit of a long quote, so stick with me. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. That's us, we're one new man. Jew and Gentile together, every nation under heaven, God's family. And, you know, just think about that, um, that, that night in Simon the Tanner's house. So Simon the Tanner, he's a disciple. The Jews actually really despised Tanners. They were pretty filthy people. They stunk and they worked with dead animals. So there's Simon the Tanner, a disciple, and then there's Peter, the great apostle. And then there's these two Gentiles and even a Roman soldier and they're all in the one house together, probably talking about Jesus. Just imagine the, the angels in heaven looking down at that fledging event, just high-fiving. So Paul is converted. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. And now Peter is converted too. And so we know how to join God's family. The passport or the ticket is to be born again. And, and we know who can join the family. That's everyone. Paul put it this way in Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So church, let's be about God's kingdom, hey? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much about this story that you've put down in writing for us, um, of Peter and Cornelius. Lord, I love 
the way you work with us, your, your grace and your patience. We are a stubborn people. We struggle. And yet your love is just immense. You can do the impossible with the invalid. We've seen that. But you can also do the impossible with the good moral people like us in church. You can do miracles in our hearts as well. And so I pray, Lord, that um, for us as a church that we'll be about your business, that we'll be open to hearing what your Holy Spirit has to say to us about what you want to do in our lives and what you want to do in our city. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.